Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, apparently better than you. Yeah, I don't know. I've got a I've got a splitting headache for some reason. I'm not sure why, but the the very prospect of talking to you makes me feel better. So, yeah, I think you're just you're admitting defeat early. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, you're stealing my headaches. Feeling a lot better with just that one line. Let Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So I actually um I I ended up writing two articles this week. Um, my my regular one was about uh you know Zoe Keating and YouTube and and kind of what's kind of turned into my ongoing campaign against streaming services. <laughs> uh, but we, we we might get to that later. But I I actually um dropped another one last night. Uh. Just kind of off off the cuff, um, just just kind of like it was just so striking to me. Um, you know, Apple delivered this this record quarter, ridiculous revenues, um, and it, it was it was interesting. One, I mean, of course, you know, John Gruber is regular, like all the claim chowder and all these ridiculous, you know, predictions, especially from just a year year and a half ago. Um, but then I was talking to to a reporter, an analyst, I can't remember which one it was. Um, they were asking me about about China, Apple in China, and basically the frame of all their questions was, uh, well, what you know, what's Apple going to do about Xiaomi? Oh, is Apple making a mistake by opening stores? You know, Xiaomi's online, blah blah blah. Oh, what are they going to do about X? What are they do about Y? And and it, no offense to this particular person, that's the sort of questions that I, I get all the time, and you, and you see this in lots of articles. It's how will Apple respond? What will Apple do about X? What will Apple do about Y? As if it's whereas. If you compare that to the way people talk about, say, Google, for example, or they talked about Microsoft, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was always with the presumption, or it is always with the presumption that Google is the one to be feared. Microsoft's the one to be feared. How will you deal with Google? What will you do with Google? What if Google enters your space? It, it's a very different sort of positioning of, of who needs to respond, of who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist, to put it, if you want to put it in those terms. Mm. And I just thought that was, it's it just fascinating that even, even after this quarter where, and I, I use this one little statistic that of course is the one that everyone latched on to, but Apple's, Apple, the, the, all the currency fluctuations are going on, the amount that it cost Apple in revenue, that dollar amount is greater than the amount of profit Google makes per quarter. That, like, that number it, is mind-boggling. Well, it, it, it just it just puts it in scale. We think about these companies as all being big companies, but but the size and scale of Apple is 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 just far far beyond any other companies. Yet the attitude towards them, again, even for people who applaud them and believe, I'm not talking about like the people who are just constantly waiting for them to fail. Like people who generally like can see they're doing well and believe they're doing well, it still comes from a, a sort of like waiting for the other foot to fall sort of mindset. And, mm. and so I, and so that, that, that was kind of like spurred. I, I just kind of had to get it out of my head, like the, the, the second article, the, the, the bad assumptions article. And so the obvious question is, why do you think people do this? Well, I mean, I, that's what I articulated. I think, I think people make, make a series of bad assumptions. Um, uh, well, I, I've written previously about this in an article called Apple, the black swan, basically saying that like wall street didn't understand Apple. So they just chalked it up to, Steve Jobs. And, and so once Steve Jobs was gone, there was a, you know, a lot of doubt and skepticism and the stock was way down. Uh, and now it, it's funny. Now, you, now you see people talk about Tim Cook being such an amazing manager. And I, I actually wrote an article when I wrote that best article last year, it was in response to, to someone saying, Oh, Apple should buy X and Y and Z because Tim Cook and their management team can do such a great job. It's like, what now it's like, Oh, so Tim Cook is now the magical manager. So that's, that's one. I, I didn't articulate it specifically in this. In this, I talked about kind of three things. One, uh, people look at markets the wrong way. They, they look at markets as being a monolithic sort of thing that everyone in a market behaves the same, which is, which is kind of bizarre. Like, I mean, maybe it's because we're, we're those hated MBAs and we actually have exposure to like, you know, traditional marketing education. But the idea of segmenting and that there's lots of groups of people that can be reached in lots of different ways it is not a foreign one generally, but it's for some reason not applied to technology. Like people just treat markets as being the same. Like, um, number two is the idea that, you know, consumers only care about, about speeds and feeds and price. It's like, what's the value per dollar. And the third is that Apple, Apple is talking a bunch of blowing a bunch of hot air when they say they want to make the best products. And my argument is, well, actually there are people who, who can afford to pay. And there are people who care about more, than speeds and feeds, the user experience stuff that we've talked about. 
which means there is a market opportunity to create a great experience and charge a lot of money for it. And so when you say Apple, when Apple says they want to make the best products, there's actually is no tension between wanting to make products and wanting to make a lot of money. It's perfectly aligned. And it's that alignment of incentives that makes Apple such a juggernaut. Mm. I, I, Really like those. I particularly like the second and the third one. The the notion that that there are you can be rational and not just care about things that can be quantified, and the the notion that um the notion that the incentives are perfectly aligned that making the best products results in 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 profitability. I I, I think it was a really it was a really interesting exploration of it. I had. I had a couple of other thoughts about this that relate to things that we've talked about previously. And I I do think it's absolutely fascinating how a company, your observation is absolutely correct, how a company like Google can be perceived as like everything they, they do is they're going to win at. And yet they have a history of, of a number of, I mean, glass has just been pulled, for example, and yet when it comes to Apple, the, the assumption is always that they're on the back foot. And I had I wondered whether it was uh, uh, related to a point that you made and that we talked about previously around um, relatives versus absolutes and how in, in the internet era, um, we've gone from... So it, pr- prior to the internet era, relatives were much more important. You wanted to be the company with the high percentage market share. And Apple was never that. But we've switched to, in the internet era, to the world of absolutes instead of relatives because the addressable market is so big now that absolutes are actually a lot more valuable than relatives. And in this world, Apple seems to be, even though even though market share in a whole bunch of these different product categories is relatively low compared to the competition, it actually, in absolute terms, it's very high. And then stacked on top of that, your assumption number one about the fact that markets aren't monolithic, they have a smaller market share, yes, but they have um, they have much more valuable customers. But people's mindsets haven't changed from this relative world to this absolute world. No, I think, I think that, that's exactly it. I mean, uh, you, you still see people kind of weakly holding on to the in the long run, Apple not having the dominant market share is going to come back to bite them. I mean, it, it, it's people are, are finally getting pretty skeptical of that. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it's interesting, though. I mean, I think in general, you know, people are much more likely to give Apple the benefit, the benefit of the doubt now. Um, to some respect, writing this is 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 not old news. But I still find it interesting that that even even people who acknowledge that Apple has a successful formula still see threats everywhere in a way they don't for for other companies. Um, and that's that's kind of what I was addressing. But it, I'll be perfectly honest. To writing the article was satisfying. It was certainly satisfying from a um, page view perspective. It's I mean it's it's. It's a couple thousand would be my most viewed article of the year, and it's only been out for less than twenty four hours. Wow! Um, but uh, but that said, I, I I had a I had a bit of hesitation in even posting it. Is that so? And, well, the reason is, um, it's almost like a. Uh, there was a. It's like when you're when you're on the top. It's so it's so easy to to miss and ignore and look over problems when you have, you know, $19 billion in profit or six, 16 or however much it was. I can't, I can't remember the, the, the mind boggling numbers. And, and I think that um, you see a lot of this in, I mean, Apple criticism in general or Apple endorsement, it tends to end up being so polarized. Mm. It's like, uh, it, it's almost like a political debate in some sense where, you have people. You have people that uh, can only can't 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 accept a viewpoint where Apple is not right, and people who can't accept a viewpoint where where they are. And and it, I try to be in the middle, like to call it as I see it. Yet this piece, kind of by virtue of it being you know very uh, complementary of Apple. Almost, it worried me that I would get labeled as being on 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 one camp or the other, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it it does make sense. It's interesting. I again, I, and I think we've touched on this previously. I can I can relate to being part of one of the polls. I, I mean, I remember when I was a fair bit younger. I was one of those. <laughs> I was on the a guy Kawasaki's evangelist. I was one of the ones that used to send these emails at journalists who said anything, anyth- anything other than. Um, kind things about Apple, like they used to post negative articles and a whole horde of Apple um, proponents would bear down upon this poor unsuspecting soul. Um, That being said, Apple was in a much more precarious situation back then than it was now. But I don't know, as I've, I don't know, (laughs) growing up, quote unquote, so to speak, um, maybe that will- Physically anyway. Yeah, that's right. Physically. I don't mean to, I don't mean to bring the- uh, the hordes down on my own head. Physically, growing up, I I, I seem I, I feel like I've got a little bit more balanced as well, and I can certainly see. I mean, I've written I've written things similar. Like uh, I wrote something. Who cares if Apple copies Samsung or Samsung copied Apple rather? Making the case that you know intellectual property, like like copying, is actually good for the markets, and all these patents aren't doing us any good. And I, I had the same hesitation. I was just, I, I, like, I am generally pro Apple. I love what they do. I am completely invested in the ecosystem. I loved working there previously, but at the same time, it's not above. It shouldn't be above criticism. But anytime you think about wanting to write something like this, you just pause before pulling the trigger. I, I mean, it's interesting. So I mean, it reminded me of um, so Marco Arment. Uh, wrote uh, a piece you want to talk about a piece going viral um, he wrote a piece at the beginning of January titled Apple has lost the functional high ground um, I don't remember if we referenced this directly on our show we did talk last year about kind of the quality problems um, you know that lots of folks have perceived in Apple's recent releases including myself I've written about it a few different times um, in the daily update in particular um, and and Basically saying that, uh, you know, I think the killer quote was right right here was, uh, it just works was never completely true, but I don't think the list of qualifiers and asterisks has ever been longer. Um, And I I think it's fair and is is a fair criticism. And I think a lot of it resonated with a lot of people. And that's why right off the bat, it got retweeted and spread a lot. But then it, it went, it went. It went uh, ballistic, you yeah, know. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it got it got into the the broader tech blogs. Um, I think Marco said the first pick it up was really Business Insider, and then <laughs> who who's kind of a feeder for lots oh, of yeah. other blogs in the mainstream media. And, and so, in like the next day, it was like on CNBC in the morning, talking about does Apple have this big problem? Um, and uh, <laughs> and the next yeah. day, the next day, like Marco basically said, like he regretted the whole thing. Like he wished, he wished he had never written it. And, uh, and, and this morning I'm quoting him this morning, my words were everywhere chopped up and twisted by sensational opportunists to feel the tired Apple is doomed narrative with my name on them or Tumblr's name, which was even worse. Uh, Marco was the first employee at Tumblr. He built most of the back end. Mm. Um, Business Insider started the party as usual, but it spread like wildfire from there. Blah, 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 blah. All of them using my name and a few of my words to create drama, fan the flames and get some views. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I can, I, I totally on one, on, like I felt bad. I felt bad because one, I thought his first post was super fair and I thought it needed to be said and it needed to be said by someone uh, of his stature. Um, and yeah, I also, someone on the inside, right? Like it gets listened to when someone inside your own camp says it. Right. Exactly. And, and like, at, and like you, I mean, yeah, Marco is just a blogger, um, but he's a pretty prominent one. I mean, he's got what 80, 90,000 followers on Twitter. He's got a very well listened to podcast. Um, like, he's respected. Th- yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to, he's respected. I mean, he's, he's not like, you know, some luminary, but, but, but that's part of the reason why I think his opinion is so, is so valuable. And you know, when he says it, he's not saying it for the page views. He's saying it because because he thinks it. And, and that's why I thought it was so important that he say that because, you know, I've heard from lots of people, um, second and third hand sources to be clear that this was very, this is widespread within Apple and raised a lot of conversations about, is this, is this really true? Yeah. 
I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the value of someone of his stature saying something like that. Now, what's unfortunate is the fact that he says it and the next day he posts, oh man, I kind of wish I hadn't written that. Right, yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's that's a problem. And and, and this is this is not about um, this isn't about Marco. This is this is about the broader concern that I have about any sort of um, community or whatever the word you want to use that starts kind of self censoring itself when it comes to any sort of criticism, like. I mean, Marco has so Marco is uh, well known for having a very hard time keeping a lid on things. So he'll probably you know spot off again at some point. But uh, but the fact remains, like if he feels so burned by this, like where is the criticism for Apple going to come from? Yeah, I, 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 it's such a good question. I mean, I think I think it's one thing for people to. Um, to behave in a way like their backs are against the wall and to come out swinging for something that they're loyal they're loyal and they about and they believe in uh, when it's on the ropes and and I can kind of get the evangelist maybe I'm apologizing for my own previous behavior I can kind of get the evangelist when Apple was looking like it was in serious trouble but given the circumstances Apple's in right now actually having people calling it on things like this I think is is it's not going to do it's not going to do any serious harm to the company to have uh, well-respected people ask questions like this. In fact, having it, having the community censor folks like Marco um, or having them feel like they can't write things like this for fear of the repercussions isn't doing Apple any favors whatsoever. Yeah, and it's not a perfect example because um, I didn't really see it. Uh, Marco hasn't really... Uh, at least he hasn't personally spoken of like Apple fans, like censoring him. And yeah. I think that, you know, um, yeah, you that's know, th- fair. W- w- that said, um, I, I, I didn't dig through his at mentions. I do know that, um, I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I think anyone who, who's, uh, even has some level of prominence knows this. If you, and you, I would imagine you got this with the Apple Samsung thing. I mean, if you write something that isn't, that is anti-Apple. Um, like, for example, I've written very critically about Apple and iCloud and how I think that they have cultural challenges with the cloud. Like, in which, which, by the way, I meant, I meant actually relatively positively. Like, the point I was making then was that what allows them to make such great products works against them building great cloud products. Right. Um, and so, like, it was meant to be. It was more a like uh, a thinking about the conundrum. That that they're in because you don't want to hurt one, but in forsake yeah. the other. No, no, no. But, no, but you know, sense. I got a. But ton. look at you! Look at you! Like qualifying, you are you a little bit afraid <laughs> of the 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 blowback as well? I, I no, I, I don't think I'm afraid. I don't think I'm afraid. But, but no, that's probably unfair. But you're aware of it, right? Yeah, I think we might have talked about this more at the time. Actually, this is around when you went to Burning Man, and I think it was some in the context of of that conversation. But you know, there was certainly an aspect of, um, you know, people people were upset and and like a lot of my initial readers and uh, my initial people who spread the word were apple fans and a lot of them came from John Gruber at Derek Fireball was when, you know one of the first to really link my blog and uh and and it it kind of became really apparent to me that um hey it's great these folks read strategy and and like you but they are first and foremost apple fans you know what I mean, and it was it was it was more a, a realization that 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 I had to come to, and um, you know I think now I'm 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 in more of a position where th- that's okay, and I'm willing to not worry about it. But there's no question there's a certain tension that you feel when you when you talk about this stuff. Oh, totally. I mean, I'm I'm I and and it's easier for me because my livelihood's not connected to it, but I. HBR is playing with its commenting system, so I don't know if the comments are still there. But I remember going through the comments of that that blog I wrote, and people were like digging into my past. They were trying to make the case that I was anti Apple. Like it, it, it got personal super quick, and you can't help but think twice when stuff like that happens. There was a there was a big thing a few years ago. Um, I think it was 2010, 2009, Like this idea of of epistemic closure. 
And epistemic closure is actually like a philosophical term um, okay. a, about logic. Um, I, I, uh, reading Wikipedia, it's a property of some belief systems. It's the principle that if subject S knows P and S knows that P and tells Q, then S can thereby come to no Q. Um, it's basically like there's a closed loop when it comes to, to, to an argument. Uh, the, the context it was used in politics, though, was a, was a critique from this guy, um, Julian Sanchez at the Cato Institute, the Libertarian Cato, Cato Institute, basically criticizing right, right-wing intellectuals, saying that there was an increasing uh, lack of willingness to hear uh, views that, that didn't agree with kind of like the party line, and that if people, you know, people were being rejected if they didn't, if they didn't toe the line, as it were, and that this was a long-term problem um, kind of for the right. So it almost has two meanings now. One is the, the classic meaning. One is kind of like this. It's a reference to this kind of specific debate that happened a few years ago, uh, particularly when it comes to America's, uh, the, the right side of the, of the divide. I remember a very specific instance of that happening. Uh, and it, it happened in the context of something that I was pretty passionate about, the um, the Soper and Peeper battles, which I'm sure a lot of folks will remember as like an attempt to extend a whole bunch of the rules around copyright. There was a, there was a, um, a rep- uh, there was a Republican researcher. I, th- I think he was working for a Republican study committee. His name was Derek Carner, and he came out with um, a paper that was basically questioning traditional Republican beliefs around the nature of copyright. And um, uh, uh, he, he released that, and within 24 hours, a, uh, a Republican representative from Nashville actually had this guy fired because she didn't like the nature of the debate. I, yeah, it's interesting you mention that because that very specific instant, instance comes to mind, and it relates to exactly what we've been talking about the past couple of weeks. And, uh, James, people are going to start to think that uh, you and copyright is like me and Uber. <laughs> There's going to have to be a version two of the bingo board, mate. Yes, <laughs> I guilty, guilty is charged. Well, the, the reason, the reason why that 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 episode was particularly intriguing to me was, I mean, that I, I had especially having lived abroad as the thing I've recounted on on Exponent before was, was kind of what reshaped kind of like my view on 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 politics general, you know, generally, and um, you know, I, I'm pretty open about the fact that I, I associate more with more with, with the left wing here, particularly when it comes to individual, individual issues. Um, but, uh, but I, 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 I just recall how, how, how heavy that, that pressure was far before 2010. Like when I was, when I was a kid and growing up and like, there just was so little, little tolerance for dissenting from, from kind of the accepted way that things were, whether that be about uh, biblical teachings or whether that be about politics and the way you ought to think about things, and and in the long run, just how it's one of those things that it, it, it's like it's like building it's like the oak tree thing, right? You like you 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 make you end up making yourself very strong, but ultimately in the long run, brittle and. And it will come. It will come crashing down. And I think uh, you know there are some people that think that has happened to to the right. Um, uh, obviously, some people will disagree. Uh, if you don't 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 stop listening to the podcast. Don't go away. Um, <laughs> well, although we don't have ads, so I guess it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, so I don't know. It, it's just it's just a conversation that's that's fascinating to me. And and I think it. Um, it, it gets back to like we talked about. We could bring it back to Apple. The idea that one of the reasons it makes Apple so powerful is the way that's tapped into identity, right? How, how it's become right. a part of people's identity, like to be to be an Apple person. And when you get into aspects of identity and you start challenging uh, parts of that as to whether they're wrong or making a mistake or not quite right, uh, it gets into challenging like the way you kind of define yourself as a person, and that's that's can be very difficult. I mean, uh, we touched on it with Gamergate as well. I mean, uh, the, the politics thing is is challenging because I, they're, 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 
it, it's circumstance based, right? There there are times when stifling debate is actually a good thing. Like if 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 you've if once you've picked your your candidate for president, you don't want people sniping. But and th- there's this notion inside of politics. I had some friends who did political science, and they observed that in certain circumstances, disunity is death. But the problem is, and and while that might be true, sometimes the problem is that that too many folks think, well, it's true some of the time, therefore it must be true all of the time. And it it doesn't allow, uh, in the same way that you and I disagree about things and I feel that our opinions are pushed forward as a result of it, it doesn't allow for that to happen. It's, 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 there's no, there's no revisiting the Apple Watch. There's no thinking about things further and pushing each other on it. And you don't want to be doing that all the time, particularly if you've got an election to win. But to, to stifle it altogether is that there's no feedback. Like you said, it's a closed system. There's no feedback loop. There's nothing challenging. There's nothing pushing you forward anymore. I, I, I would, uh, I get your point from a tactical perspective as far as winning elections, but even then, man, it makes me nervous. And, um, and, and to be clear, I mean, like th- this idea of, 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 intellectual closure, epistemic closure, I think happens to all, all movements. I mean, um, you know, it, you, you could it arguably happen to the left, especially in the late seventies and, and early eighties. And, and these things kind of go in cycles. Uh, but it's, mm. I mean, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a company thing too, you know, like you, you get so wrapped up in your strategy and what's going on. You're unable to see reality and the way that things actually are until it's until it's too late. So interesting. So l- let me let me propose something uh, to 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 test this. Do you think you could you could form a hypothesis such that the more open a movement is to criticism, uh, the, the, or, or let me re- rephrase it: that the more a movement is open to criticism, the more likely it is to then do well. Like the causal mechanism is. If if a movement or or company a company even or whatever entity it is is open to receiving feedback, even if it's perceived as being critical, the more likely it is to be successful. I do think so, and I'll tell you I'll tell you exactly why. I, I think there, there's there's a there's a second tension that happens here, and it's kind of the tension between the um, for lack of a better word, be kind of like the, between the true believers and the pragmatists. And I, I think any successful organization or any successful movement needs both, right? It's it's the kind of true believers that push the envelope, but it's the pragmatists that that make it that that let it take shape. And, and like if you talk about a movement, uh, no movement can survive being a fraction of the population, right? You need the broad base of support, even if even if. A lot of people on the people on the margins aren't contributing that much. Like you need you need volume. Like go back to market share. You need volume at at, at some point. Mm. And and I and the problem though is to get volume to get that market share. You necessarily have to dilute the main product, right? And this is where the tension comes because that's that's intolerable to the true believers. It's like how how can you. How like how can you how can you let this this person has this belief or this person thinks this this person thinks that how can you let them into the club you know like so I think on, on the right particularly in the, where I was raised the idea the very idea of tolerating a politician that believed in a woman's right to choose was just unthinkable but but then what happened was is you're you're now cutting out a huge part of the population and you're killing your attractiveness among women, just like in a very tactical political, you know, political science point of view. And so in the long run, you actually probably hurt yourself by making it a, a witness test. Um, even though it makes you feel very morally superior and, and that you're doing the right thing in, in the short run, you know? So, and, yeah. Two things like it makes it you're making me feel like I want to restate the hypothesis, which is that it's almost like being able to strike a balance between the pragmatists and the true believers is is what's necessary for success. You kind of need both. If one if one or the other gets too far in control, then you end up with trouble. Yeah, well, it's like you, you need to figure out what matters. 
right? Like mm-hmm. what, what, what are, what are the one or two things that like, that like really matter? And so if you take, take like, you know, I like, I, I would argue mm-hmm. looking from the outside in that the, the America's right would be far better served by focus on, focusing on some specific economic issues and not getting lost in the social moralistic weeds, right? Obviously, I'm biased because I do support women's right to choose. I do support gay marriage and like all, all those sorts of things. The problem, though, the, the the tension is it's a lot of those things that, you know, the true believers who do a lot of the work care more about those than other stuff. Yeah, you know, that's our that's our digression so, on US so, politics. Yeah, but, well, well, before we finish the digression, I want to make one observation. I think part of the reason that this is um, this happens in America versus an experience that I'd had overseas is the is the voluntary versus compulsory voting. So I'm going to give everybody a free square on the bingo card. But in Australia, voting is compulsory, and I used to think this was the most ridiculous idea ever. That you know, free society. Why should people be forced to go vote? But actually, having lived in the states, I think it, I've I've changed my mind completely. I think it's a fantastic idea because it brings the 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 more of the pragmatists into the fold and it becomes less about the true believers who are like really polarized on a single issue. And there's something systemic that happens in the US around voluntary voting that encourages politicians to focus more on the true believers and less on the pragmatists. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that may be the case. I think it's certainly an, an, interesting, an interesting hypothesis. I, 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 I'm hesitant to venture too much into it just sure and i'll tell you no, i'll tell you exactly why i'll tell you exactly why am i being a little bit of a wimp and worried about pissing people off yes i am um but i think that's okay and the reason why i think it's okay is because what i do and what i care about is talking about uh technology and the impact of technology in in society i, I don't mm. i don't write about politics i purposely mm. avoid it for the most part and so i am choosing to make a pragmatic decision to not talk any further about us politics because i would rather spend my my capital and the goodwill i have among our listeners in making them angry about a topic that i am actually focused on and care about you're making me feel slightly guilty for the digression but no, you've, no. you've 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 brought the 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 labrador who's gone off wandering back to heel well no but but i think this is i think this is the answer to your question and so when you get to when you get to like a company level the key is figuring out what are the couple things that you won't compromise on. What are the things that really do define you and that you're going to go to bankruptcy court defending? And what are the things that you can, that, that you can be pragmatic about? And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, for, for, so take Apple, for example, like they've been very clear that they're, you know, they say again and again, we're going to make, we're going to make the best product and they're, and they devote a ton of resources to that. They hire the best people. They put all the people devoted towards making the best possible iPhone. And there's other stuff that and it probably isn't as good. And it's not, it's, and there are lots of areas where Apple's stuff isn't as good as the competitions. But by and large, all those things are non core things. And it's not that Apple wouldn't like them to be great, it's that you have to. Like at some point, you're, not everyone is from Lake Wobegon, right? Or Camp Wobegon. Not everyone is above average, right? You have right. to put the best people on something and you have to make sure something hmm. is, is superior. And it's a choice you have to make. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the awesome nature of prioritizing. Like choosing to prioritize something means to choose to deprioritize something else. And if you're not deprioritizing, then you haven't made a choice at all, right? No, absolutely. And and that's that's and that that's the worst place you that's the worst place you can be. So, I actually want to take us right back to the beginning of uh, of the podcast where we started. And you you mentioned um Gruber um uh going through the claim chowder th- the, the claim chowder, the, the Gruber's claim chowder post, and like going through all the analysts and and pointing out how they're wrong, and I and I, I certainly wouldn't say that that's what you did with your post. You were um, you were giving a much more reasoned explanation as to why people got it wrong. That being said, I I have a question. I have a question for you, which is like, okay, um, well, like Gruber's implicitly saying you guys were wrong 
I'm right. Apple's Apple's fantastic. Apple's a fantastic investment. You should keep buying it. But at some point, like unless unless they sell everything to everybody, at some point it 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 hits a peak, right? And I'm curious to so we've we've gone into the retrospective explanation as to why people are wrong and pointing at the analysts to say, um, to say you know look at you guys you you got it horribly wrong. But I'm I'm curious as to like talking about it in terms of like how would you actually predict going forward what's going to happen? And I guess I guess the the very simple question I could ask you right now is. Um, would you invest in Apple given where they are at the moment? Well, one, uh, I don't do stock calls and I think neither does John. When he says that, he's not saying you should buy buy Apple stock. Um, sure. Neither I, I, neither of us have individual stock holdings. And, um, so I didn't mean to get the vested interests. I didn't mean to hit the vested interest nerve, but it, it's like putting all that aside, like it's, it, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it is easy to like call people out for being wrong. What's interesting though is like at at some point, at, at some point, the law of well, maybe the law of large numbers isn't the right way to frame it. But at some point, or, or do you not think, or what are the what are the ways you'd think about as to whether they are going to peak or not? Well, no, I think that that is the by, and I I've said this also kind of from the beginning of Techery, like the by far the most valid criticism of Apple is, is questioning just how large their addressable market is. I mean, at, at what point are they going to saturate the number of people who, who can afford a $700 phone? And I'll, I'll be honest, um, the, this quarter, uh, I, I wrote a piece that I'm very proud of uh, called Two Bears right when I started Shotechery where I basically predicted that Samsung was screwed. Um, at a time when everyone was saying Samsung was ascendant and that Apple was was doomed. And obviously that turned out to be very true about Samsung. But while I'm proud of it, I, I was wrong about Apple too because I basically said in there that it's very reasonable to question you know, how much more Apple can grow. And the reality is I mean, Apple grew like 30% this quarter, like something mm. just insane, which no one I think really thought was possible, uh, including, including myself. And part of that was why I wrote the piece last week about, uh, you know, maybe we need to think about that as, as, as we, as tech starts to reach everyone, what if these people that are new to technology who haven't really bought any tech products at all and are also rich, they have, they have, and by rich, I mean, like they live in the U S <laughs> like, I'm not talking about like rich, rich. I'm talking about like, you know, they have, they, they, they live in a Western company in, in a Western country. Um, what if they are actually more likely to buy Apple because they see it as being safer and uh, you know less likely to cause them problems? And and if that's the case, then actually maybe Apple has more growth in front of them than we thought. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a, a a hypothesis I just kind of worked through last week. But clearly, uh, I, I'm I think that argument's valid. But I've already been kind of burned once, assuming that we were close to it when we weren't. So yeah, I, I, I mean th- that's the thing, right? Like I, I, I'm not ashamed, too ashamed to say that I, I thought that they were getting there a few years ago. I remember having this conversation with Horace Deju at a conference, and he looked at me. He's like, "There's a lot of wind left in the sails." Yeah, I was like, Horace, like law of large numbers. At some point, this this has to stop, right? Like if it keeps growing like this, at what point does Apple equal world economy? You know, like I, I, obviously we're a fair way away from that, but it's it, it's just, it it's the largest company in the world and it just grew by how much this quarter? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I, so I've, I, a long time ago, um, I don't think on, before I started trajectory, but I, I said, uh, I might still have the post somewhere. I said that like there were three huge, there were three huge things for for Apple. Um, one was uh, Western carrier availability. Uh, number one being Verizon. Number two was developing world carrier availability. Number one being China Mobile, and number three was making large phones. Like I said, this back in like twenty. 
10 or something like that. Like mm-hmm. but obviously before Verizon, Verizon, uh, the Verizon deal was done. And the other one is NTT Docomo. Uh, and that those, as long as none of those three had happened, that you should bank on there still being massive iPhone growth. So it, that said, so for a long time, and I've said that, I think I said that on Shachekri as well. So th- there is a fair question because the last one didn't trip till this this last quarter, that being right. the, the large iPhones. Uh, and so there is a real question, like th- there's not that kind of like, the last of the low-hanging fruit is gone um, in, a lot of, in a lot of respects. And so now it's very much the question of, of winning over Android switchers and and people who have put off getting a cell phone. And that's different than getting people who are in an expanding market. Like stealing share is a lot different than than growing the pie. So so here's the thing, here's here's the thing, and I worry that we're falling into the same trap that we'd accuse the analysts of. So so I I remember I remember being in Clay's class and he's like, if you wanna, if you want to grow your share price, you have to surprise the markets. And the only way you can surprise the markets is do something that analysts aren't able to predict. And they're able to predict. So he, he termed it in terms of sustaining and disruptive innovations. They're able to easily predict sustaining innovations. But if you can disrupt a new market, you can consistently surprise and consistently surprise. And even thinking about this in terms of the iPhone, I think, I think just thinking through those three, three, um, three pieces of big low-hanging fruit, I wonder whether Apple's sustained growth is going to come from their ability to do something that they've managed to do time and time again, which is to completely recreate a new product category. I think the, that this watch is becoming increasingly important given the fact that there aren't obvious places for them to turn in terms of growing phone revenues. See, I, I know that that's an argument that I know that, that horse before it and, and obviously Professor Christian has it and now you – and I, I have a few problems with it. And um, just to back up, the, the idea that you surprise the market is just for people who the, the way the way a market ought to work is that future gains should be priced into the stock. So theoretically, uh, uh, people should know that Apple will be uh, on China Mobile at some point, and that should be priced into the stock with a certain discount based on when they think it will happen, and so on and so forth. So the idea that China Mobile would drive an increase in the stock uh, sh- that ought not to happen because it shouldn't be a surprise. Like that's kind of like efficient market hypothesis right. in, 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 a, yep. in, in a very convoluted nutshell. Um, one, I'm not a real believer in efficient market hypothesis. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I would concur. <laughs> there's no better example of that than Apple because the whole thing of Apple going down like 300 last year was stupid. Uh, two, um, what I tried to drive at in this article that I wrote yesterday is I don't think analysts were, I think analysts were wrong because they, they had fundamentally wrong assumptions about the market. And, uh, I, as I've articulated, um, maybe the only one who's a bit mad at me at this podcast is you, uh, as I've articulated on strategy and in this podcast, I think one of the core things, core assumptions that people get wrong about Apple is the assumption that they're on the verge of being, disrupted through modular low-end low, low end competition. And I think that's wrong. And 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 Professor Christensen has been so successful in his theory, it has been proven right in so many cases and that it's just been assumed that this will happen to Apple. And that's been priced into the stock, that this is going to happen at some point. And the surprise, if there is a surprise, is that it keeps not happening. I So, so I'm... Putting aside the argument about disruption, let's assume you're right and that Apple sustains its. So, so I would let 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 me make the assumption that Apple sustains its its revenue or its share in in the iPhone market. I so so we've we've picked off the three low hanging pieces of fruit that I think you did a fantastic job of identifying. I. I'm curious. Let, let me reframe it. Do you think there are other sources of growth that 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 are going to come for the iPhone going forward from where we are right now? Well, uh, I, I think that the one I just identified, I think, is is very interesting. This idea of um, 
people's second phone or conservatives' first smartphone uh, being Apple because uh, it's such a personal device and it's so central to, you know, the more personal a device is, the more Apple's advantages when it comes to things like user experience and looks and fashion and ecosystem, the more that's brought to bear. And, and I think there's a very real argument that can be made that uh, over time, I mean, if you think about it, like in tech, there's the assumption that over time in a particular product category, the cheaper offerings is just going to take over the market, right? Because it's assumed that the products can become good enough. And once everything's about the same performance wise, why wouldn't you buy the cheaper option? But we don't think that way in the consumer market. Like the whole idea of, of consumer marketing is you want to lever people up. You get people in with an entry level product, and then you upsell them to the, to a better product, and upsell them to a, to a better product. And you see entire massive corporations built on this idea. Like GM was built on the idea you get people in on a Chevy, and by the time they retire, they're driving a Cadillac with you know a Buick and an Oldsmobile and a, and a Pontiac along the way. And uh, I if if you think about a smartphone and these more personal aspects of technology, if you stop thinking about them as being technology products, start thinking about them as being consumer products, then there's an argument to be made that over time, the spend ought to increase on them. And if that is the case, then Apple is even better placed than any of us might have thought previously. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, the ASP for the iPhone went up this quarter, but that was probably influenced by the pent-up demand for the bigger phone, which was a a, as uh, um, identified previously. But then I guess that's not even relevant because you're making a different argument. You're making an argument that pe- rather than looking at av- Apple's ASP, you're making the argument that people are going to start spending more on phones as they become more important to their lives. Well, I, where by spending more on phones, I mean buying an iPhone instead of buying your bog standard Android phone. Right, right. And that... And if, That's going to drive growth for Apple going forward. And it, That's interesting. And if you, it, well, you just look at the numbers, the churn rates for Apple are very low. Like it's in the ninety percentage of people who have an iPhone buy another iPhone, and the and the next closest is what this was. I think last year the next closest was Samsung with like fifty seven percent. And I, I don't think there was a number for Android manufacturers taken as a whole, but it's certainly way lower than 90%. And, and now if we're in the era of people are buying their second smartphones, if that persists, if Apple retains a, a churn rate of, of, of in the 90%, uh, by definition, they're going to be growing share. It's interesting. It really is. I, I, I'm full. I'm totally. I'm totally with you in terms of them delivering a better experience. It's a big part of the reason why I continue to use their phones. I do think that the the gap in experience between the iPhone and an Android device has closed substantially since the introduction of the two the two devices in their respective ecosystems. And. Uh, I, I guess my question for you then becomes, do you think Apple will be able to maintain a big enough gap in that experience going forward to, to, to maintain their price differentiation? I would argue the gap between uh, iOS and Android is greater than the gap between Mac and Windows. Um, I know some people would disagree, but I, I think that for the normal consumer, that's the case. Uh, and yet PC is a very mature market uh, with very low cost entries and the Mac continues to grow. Uh, um, obviously from, yeah. from, from a smaller percentage base to be sure. But what, why, I mean, there is at least some evidence that over time, uh, a premium offering for an essential component in a person's life can grow share. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that they've got going in their favor in terms of this is, is that the sum is, is, the sum of the parts is greater than the individual pieces. Like you get these, um, you get these stacked benefits from staying entirely within the Apple ecosystem that you, that, that I think is partly responsible for growing the max share. But yeah, your point is well made. But it's been growing even before that. It's been growing for years. Like the, the Mac has outpaced the PC market for like 44 quarters in a row. Long before continuity and all that sort of stuff was a gleam in, Craig Federighi's hair. 
Mm, yeah, but do you think it started back along back, back along with the um I mean basically that would correlate with the introduction of the iPod would be if if we were to go back 44 quarters that would be pretty close to the introduction of the iPod which would support my hypothesis. Well, you could also correlate it with the rise of the internet as being the dominant True. application layer which yeah. brought Macs to you know removed that that Advantage. Application disadvantage that Windows, well, it had to Windows. Yeah, good point. So, so your argument is that the watch, the watch isn't as important to Apple's continued growth, and that will be driven that they will be able to maintain a fair old clip just by convert, continuing to convert Android users on the to the iPhone. Yeah, I, I don't think like the watch is essential for Apple in the way that like you articulated in the way that I think Horace ha- has also articulated. Um, I, I and I think we we discussed this a few episodes ago. Like I, I I'm I think the iPhone uh, itself is you know, will remain the, the dominant driver. And if you think about it from, from, believe it or not, from a stock price perspective, um, we're only just now getting to the point where the stock is pricing in Apple not failing. Like, there, 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 there's not really growth priced into the stock right now. Well, it's, I mean... The, <laughs> like, no, yeah. if, you, if, you, if you did a PE ratio previously, it was with, it, it was kind of priced in that Apple that the iPhone would start to slump sooner rather than later. And now it's to the point where, okay, people have finally accepted the iPhone's not going anywhere. And I don't think that anything about the watch or the iPhone expanding considerably is, is it's not really priced in. So I think there, there, if you believe that's the case, and again, like the, it, it's a, a steel share strategy is much more difficult than being in a growing mm. market. Um, and and you'd have to buy, I think, my argument also about the conservatives preferring being willing to pay more to get a better experience um, to to do this. But I do think there is still a story uh, on the upside when it comes to the stock. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, it's it's just that the I, if if we want to be having the same conversation in five years' time with with um. Uh, with let let's use Gruber doing the same claim charter articles from analysts around about now saying don't buy the stock it's it's like dramatically overvalued I I I do think you could you could get a little bit of the way there from stealing share in a mature market from Android users but I just can't help but think in the same way that we that that probably five years ago the Mac was the the dominant part of Apple's revenues and now it's the iPhone. I just can't help but wonder to create that same that same kind of like oh my gosh how wrong you were kind of environment you need to have another product category kick in to get that same effect. Yeah, well there's 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 a there's a few arguments here. Um first off 5 years ago the iPhone was already dominant. Um even as of 2008 the first quarter of the iPhone 3G uh the iPhone was like 43% of Apple's revenue. So like it wow. it, it, it took over very quickly. Yeah. Um uh, and before that, it's probably the iPod. Anyhow, um, I'll stop correcting you. I don't want to make your head hurt. Any, no, 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 no. Like, thank you. Uh, but, but uh, the so there's there's been different categories of being wrong about Apple. The mm. the really wrong and great to mock is that is that Apple is going to collapse. That iPhone share is going to collapse, and the the favored intellectual reasons for this has been that Android phones should be good enough and people are going to desert them because they're, they cost too much. And I, 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 it's hard, kind of hard to believe now, but even a year, year and a half ago when I started Stratechery, that was a very widespread opinion and very like accepted. And a lot of people believed it. I think mm-hmm. we're just now getting to the point where people realize that that's not going to happen. So the second bear argument is that, Apple is reaching a saturation point. Like they can't, they've, they, they sell so many freaking iPhones now and yeah, sure. They might sell, they might sell it to their existing customers, but one, they're going to sell at a lower rate because people will feel less need to upgrade. And two, uh, and and they're not going to make that up by selling to more people. It's it's like what's happened to the PC now, right? That Mm, it's going to, it's just going to kind of stagnate. And that, 
I've always said, again, all along that that is a reasonable argument. And there's been aspects of that that I've subscribed to. And uh, and I think this quarter means that argument deserves deserves to be examined more closely. There's mm-hmm. a third argument that actually the iPhone is going to continue to grow. It's going to continue to grow for the reasons that I just articulated. And that is that is not priced in the stock currently. And uh, even with the stock being as high as it is, and that that's a very bullish argument. And then there's, and that's all that is independent of there being new products. Um, now, at some point, by definition, like there's only seven billion people in the world, right. and there's only some percentage <laughs> of that seven billion that can afford a seven hundred dollar phone. So, by definition, you have to reach the point at some point. But the but if you if you think about it, like Apple has what forty now getting up to close to fifty percent share in the U.S. That means there's still fifty percent of people in the U.S. they could reach. Right, they're like the number of people who are able to afford an iPhone is not saturated. The question is what what is the number of people who are able to afford an iPhone and are willing to pay for an iPhone? And that willing to pay part of the population might be bigger than we think, and that's that's what's interesting to think about. And all of that is independent of of the watch or anything else being on top of that. Fifty percent. 50%, no, 50% of sales in the last quarter, which means which that's just the last quarter. So when it comes to installed base, it's still, I'm sure, much lower than that. Right. Still an insane number. Yep. I, 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 and, I, I, and I would never have expected it to go up the way it has subsequently. I just wouldn't have. And, and this is the thing, right? Like, I, I read those Gruber articles and I was like, man, I... Again, I'm not a stock picker, but I was like, I wish I bought the stock way back when. But every time you think about buying it, it's like, this is how can this company continue to get any bigger? Yeah. So, um, and, no, and, and every time they just do. Yeah. And so, yeah. So I, I think, uh, I mean, we're getting dangerously close to stock picking, which again, I don't do very, yeah, very explicitly. No, and I don't, I, I don't want to get into it either, but it's, it, it's, that's the starting point for this question. But it's also like, I'm, I'm curious. It's it's easy to it's it's and again I, I don't I don't want to be misinterpreted as saying you're doing this but it's easy to criticize people for making predictions that turn out to be wrong but it's it's always curious to to like get a prediction on the record um as well and figure out like to to like figure out what's going to happen going forward that's where I think the fun lies No it's you know? totally true and, and it's fair to criticize me for saying because I don't have skin in the game um, it's easy for me to sit in the sidelines and and snipe, and that's that's also a very, you know, a very fair criticism, and that's part of the reason why I don't make explicit picks because if I make explicit picks, I'll make explicit picks with my money, um, and uh, and so no, it's 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 totally fair, and I think and that's why when I wrote it, I was focused not on making people look bad per se, but like why what drives this thinking that is consistently wrong. Mm. Um, no, and and that's fair. I again, I'm just curious about like, are we going to have another version of this in five years' time? And if so, what needs to hold true for that to happen? Yeah, I, I think the, the 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 biggest bull case for Apple is that the iPhone addressable market ends up being even larger than you anticipated. It it keeps growing. Uh, you know, probably it, it's hard to ever envision a a, a a. We said this a few years ago, but it's hard to ever envision a quarter like this quarter. Just because there was a confluence of so many things, one, um, the way they were able to launch in so many countries at once, including China, on all three carriers for the first time ever, two, all the pent up demand for a larger screen iPhone, um, and just that that all happening at the same, and then um, that all happening at the same time, uh, you know, even despite you know like the currency issues that they faced, uh, it was really a, a perfect storm. And so the bull case I would say is though is continued growth in the iPhone and then that yeah the watch becomes a meaningful contributor to to the bottom line. Yeah. Right. That's so that's what holds true for this to be happening in 5 years time I guess. I wonder what episode number we'll be up to by then. Well, if we do like uh 40 some a year, it'd be in the be in the 200s. 200. We should revisit it in the 250. We'll have a, a well, we're not going to talk about Apple again now until episode 250. What do you reckon? Half our population is cheering. <laughs> and the other half is is like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, the, the other half is, just doesn't believe us. 
All right. Exactly. Um, well, I, we, 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 we didn't get as, we didn't get as far in epistemic closure as I thought. We ended up <laughs> ironically uh, turning into a bit of uh, Apple cheerleader show, um, which is, which is very ironic in a sense. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think we touched a lot of squares, so we can leave it. We can we can leave it at that. <laughs> I wonder how how far into the episode before it was someone yelled. Bing. I actually think we, we, there's definitely a version two that can be made. We have the we have the workers in China. We have the you in copyright. Uh, <laughs> we have we, there, there, there's that def, def, definitely possible. <sighs> Uh, there we go. We'll, we'll give another shout out to whoever comes up with the best version to bingo board. Yeah, may, actually, that? maybe this is how we can. This is maybe this is how we can make money on the podcast. We can have a, <laughs> we can have a, uh, a a bingo game, and we'll take like a skim. Like what, what's the house skim called? The uh, the take. The take. Yeah, it's uh, step one bingo board. Step two question mark. Step three b- profit. Right. Oh, now. by the way, I, I was corrected that it's the underpants gnome, not the sock gnome. Uh, what's the, the underpants? Norm? Yeah, it's a it's a South Park episode, and I I knew that, and I kept saying oh, talking about that's socks. Right. It's like those I talked about it once, and then it was stuck in my head as being socks, and and apparently I've been uh, blabbering on about the wrong the wrong uh, undergarment uh, several times now, and finally someone took mercy on me and corrected me. There we go. Well, uh, will not happen again, I'm sure. And all corrections are appreciated. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There are always a few. Very good. Well, I uh, my headache feels slightly better than uh, when I began, so I don't know what that's saying about the conversation, but as always, it was fun. Sounds good. Uh, have a good day. See you, mate. All right, later.